Have you ever waited until the very last second that you could do something? No, think about that very truly. You ever waited until the ultimate, absolute, no other time, last second to do something in your life? I know many of us do. Many of us procrastinate. That's a bad word. And, you know, on January 1st, uh, New Year's resolutions will come around. That's one of the highly recommended resolutions is quit procrastinating. But I want to talk about some things this morning that, that will help us to focus on these things of waiting until the last second. Maybe it was an approaching turn. Uh, maybe you waited until the very, very last second to turn your blinker on. I did that last night as an illustration um, to show Christy. She said, turn your blinker on. I said, I'm not there yet. And right before I turned, I turned it on. Many times we see that. We see people that will do that. We'll see ourselves do that. Maybe a stoplight, deciding whether to run on through the yellow light as it's about to turn red, and you just step on that gas just so you can get through there the last second. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's those railroad tracks like I have to cross nearly every day going to my office at Middle Tennessee Boulevard because you know if you get stuck behind that thing, you're there for a while. And you, you know, you see that, 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 that train track, the little crossing thing comes down and boom, you just get past it. My luck, I'd get past it and then all of a sudden the truck would stall right there at the end. <laughs> but whether or not it was one of those things or, you know, like I said, just gassing it at the last second or stopping at the very, very last moment that you can. I had a friend of mine's police officer in Murfreesboro that was going to try to find me some statistics on that this week. She wasn't able to about how many wrecks are accredited to people just waiting until the last second. I'm sure it's many. Usually it's a rear-end collision that you see, and that's what people have done. They've waited for the last second to try to stop, or they've done something there. But maybe it's something a little different than that of a driving nature. Maybe it's something as simple as paying bills that are due. Anybody ever wait till the last second to pay a bill? I know sometimes I do, and then sometimes we'll get a little late charge, and we go, we call, and well, I sent that bill in. When did you send it in? Well, the day before it was due. <laughs> well, you know, the mail, especially this time of year, doesn't, doesn't get there quite as easily. Maybe it was tax season. I tried to look that up. That's impossible. Look up to see how many people actually file their taxes on April 15th. It's phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. How many people wait till the last second? And, and for what reason? I don't know. Because many of them, uh, I think somewhere I read that $120 million was filed for refunds on April 15th last year. Why would anybody wait that long to file for a refund? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Maybe you're just not prepared enough, whatever it may be. And I want you to think about something. I, I want to I refresh your memory on a little story from a few years ago. And we'll see what happened at the last second. Do you remember what, or do you know what happened on August 23rd, 2005? Now, I've just pulled a date out that, you know, most of you probably go, well, I can think of some things maybe. Well, I'm going to tell you what happened. There was this tropical depression that became a hurricane over the Bahamas. It was categorized as a Category 1 hurricane. Category 1 wouldn't seem that big. Matter of fact, Christy and I were in South Carolina Charleston, several years back, 95, 96, something like that, and, and the Category 3 was coming towards Charleston, and, and we stayed, you know, everybody was evacuating, and we went to the beach. We wanted to see what the, the power of God was, and it was powerful, let me tell you. But Category 1, not that big a deal, and it came across the Bahamas, and then it, it, it skirted over the tail of Florida, across Miami. I think it entered as Cat 3, maybe, or, or uh, uh, strengthened a little bit, but the people of Miami didn't even know that it that it didn't stop once it passed. 
But it did. It, it continued on. It got into the Gulf of Mexico. And on August 29th, Monday, what we will know forever changed that area is Hurricane Katrina. I, I actually put Katrina in my, my notes there. Sorry, Katrina. <laughs> Hurricane Katrina hit ground as a Category 3 hurricane in South Louisiana. Now, not New Orleans, as many people would think. It didn't hit in New Orleans. It hit in South Louisiana. On the borders there, and, and of course, they were affected. And that's where the most destruction came, actually, was that area. <clears throat> now, I want you to think back about that, waiting until the last second. Now, many of us, okay, you get it. You understand where I'm going with that. On August 26th, was the first warning of this approaching storm. And they expected it to have landfall somewhere around the 27th. So these people had some warning that were in the path of this destructive storm. August 27th brought voluntary evacuations of the New Orleans area. The mayor of New Orleans, I can't remember his name right off, but he, he suggested leaving. He suggested to get out of town, go to higher ground. And we know why. New Orleans is below sea level. Most people should know that if you don't. It's below sea level. On August 28th and August 29th, there were videotaped warnings at the National Hurricane Center by the director warning about the potential of the levees that had been there for years not holding the aftermath of water. Now, this is a storm, you know, and technology has gotten tremendously great in order for us to be able to say, okay, that storm's got a lot of water in it. This is two and one and two days before the storm impacted. And they were able to say, hey, we're not sure those levees are going to hold. On August 28th, the National Weather Center issued an advisory that the area would be uninhabitable for weeks and have devastating damages. And on Sunday, August 28th, George W. Bush made the announcement of a mandatory evacuation of the area. Mandatory. No longer voluntary. No longer your choice, but the government's choice. Now, people will debate whether or not the government made all the decisions that they should have made when they made them. I'm not looking at that today. What I'm looking at are the decisions that people made. All right? That's what I want to look at today. There were three major things that were, that were the attitude of those people in the New Orleans parish and, and those surrounding areas. I've been to New Orleans once, and we spent a couple days there, but I'd like to go back sometime just to see the scenery. It's an interesting place. But there were some major thoughts that came about in these people's minds. Now, do I know anybody that was from there? I met some people. Did I sit down and interview them? No. <laughs> but I think you're going to see when I tell you what these three points are. But yeah, you can see it in their lives. First one is it won't hit us. It won't hit us. Now, how many times have we looked at that? You know, maybe a tornado warning comes on TV, and, 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 and we instantly become meteorologists. <laughs> we know where the storm's going. Oh, it's not going to hit me. Oh, we're good. No. They were predicted to be in the eye of the storm. About 1.2 million people were involved in this mandatory and other voluntary evacuations. 1.2 million people. Think about that. And the last time I looked at the population of Nashville, it was about 660,000. So the entire population of Nashville, twice, were told to get out. Voluntary and mandatory. Now I want to tell you, with that attitude that they have, it's not going to hit us. It won't hit us. Sometimes we, as Christians or we that are not Christians, also have that attitude. I want to read to you something that, that 
that the, that the Pope, I don't like elevating him, but the Pope, Pope Francis said about this time last year, do not be afraid of the final judgment of God when the good will be separated from the bad because Jesus will always be at our side because we can rely on the intercession and the benevolence of the saints and because God did not send his son to condemn but to save. And he who believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is already condemned. And in this sense, the judgment has already begun. Folks, that's false. He goes on to say, I believe in eternal life was the passage from the creed chosen by the Pope. Focusing on the final judgment. But, he made it was said, do not be afraid. When we think of the return of Christ and his final judgment, which will reveal even to its furthest consequences the good each person has done or failed to do during the earthly life, we perceive that we are faced with a mystery that hangs over us that we cannot even imagine. A mystery that almost instinctively arouses us in a sense of awe and perhaps even trepidation. However, if we think carefully about this fact, it can only swell the heart of a Christian and be of great reason of comfort and confidence. I don't know where he gets that. Firstly, because the Christian revelation ends in the apocalypse with the embrace of Jesus, who is the fullness of life, the fullness of love, so we embrace Jesus. If we think of the judgment in this perspective, all fear and doubt vanishes and leaves a deep joy and expectation. It will be the time when we will be judged finally ready to be clothed with the glory of Christ like a wedding garment and be conducted to the banquet, an image of full and definitive communion with God. That came from his article, People uh, or Pope Never Fear the Final Judgment Because Christ Will Always Be at Our Side, December 11, 2013. Let me tell you what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You see... It's not going to hit us. It's the wrong attitude. If you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Peter, we're going to go back and forth through there a little bit today. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. From verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down into hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are in greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. See, Peter tells us there that it's going to hit. <laughs> it's going to hit. And the time of false teachers saying it's not going to hit is at hand. We have people teaching and preaching today that hell is not real. We have people that are teaching and preaching today that we can just live our lives as we want. We have people teaching today that, that you can just invite God into your heart and everything is good. The second point that we see in these people's minds, it won't be that bad. 
You ever heard anybody say that? I won't be that bad. We'll just wait it out. We'll wait out the storm. <laughs> you ever hear that? That's okay if you know it's not going to be a bad storm. But if you were warned, if you were told this is going to be devastating, this is going to be something that will change your life forever and ever, might not be a good idea. <laughs> the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Psalms 9 and verse 17 tells us that. And going back into 2 Peter chapter 3, I have to turn a page over in my Bible. Verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see, the Bible tells us that it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. But you see in those people's minds in, in that area that was flooded so badly from Hurricane Katrina. I have to be careful when I say that. Not Katrina, but Katrina. <laughs> Hurricane Katrina. They said it just won't be that bad. It won't be that bad. Y'all remember the images, don't you? You remember the pictures that were on TV? We... we uh, Whatever reason, we decided to take a vacation that week, and we originally were going to Florida and changed our mind because of the hurricanes. Uh, there were multiple that year. And we went to St. Louis. We got caught in the remainder of that storm. It was not pretty. I mean, we were. it finally turned into what they call the, the end of the tropical depression in Clarksville, Tennessee. That's how far that storm traveled. Y'all remember seeing the pictures on TV of Atlanta, Six Flags in Atlanta, the wooden roller coaster that was underwater. <laughs> the roller coaster that I've ridden many times, it's got the big steep hill, was underwater. It was that bad, and it will be that bad. We're told it will be. So the third thing that was in their minds, and probably the most dangerous when I say most dangerous, I don't mean just in, in, in these people's minds, but also in ours. And also in our hearts. What do you think it is? I'll take my chances. I'll take my chances. One victim had this statement to say that was displaced in a shelter. I have adequate funds, or enough money, in the bank. I just cannot access them because my bank was a local bank and it was flooded. So all I have accumulated over the years is doing me no good. It's gone. You can have all the money in the world and it's not going to do you any good in that last day. That last day when Jesus comes back, that money is not going to do any good in the bank. None whatsoever. It was calculated that 80% of New Orleans evacuated Another 10,000 went to the Superdome. The, the governor and the mayor decided that that was a safer place. wasn't the safest, but it was a safer place. One of the highest points in town. But tens of thousands refused to leave. They wanted to wait it out 
and see what would happen. They decided that it was not going to be dangerous enough for them to heed the warning. 34,000 people were rescued by the U.S. Coast Guard alone. That's not counting the brave men and women that went out in their own boats and did everything they could to rescue others. There's no telling how many people actually got out and did that. 34,000 alone by the, by the uh, U.S. Coast Guard. And yet today we have people that will say, my God won't send people to hell. <laughs> when you look at it and you say, well, it's just not going to happen. It won't be that bad. Or I'll take my chances. In Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 23, Jesus says there, Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. We know you, Lord. Look how he answers on verse 27. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. <laughs> they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God, and indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. You see, Jesus gives that warning. He's given us that warning right there that, that, that it is going to be bad, and it is going to affect us. We're in the eye of the storm, and we have to understand that. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus also says, Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. He says that in verses 33 and 34. And I think about that and I also look at Luke chapter 16. When, when, when the rich man there, he was asking, he says, says, can you send back Lazarus to my brothers? And, and, and what did Abraham say? You had the prophets. And you killed them. <laughs> you killed them, as Jesus said. Well, those three attitudes were clearly seen in New Orleans. But I wanted to add one of my own regard. I want you to think about this one. It's someone else's job to take care of me. You know, that's a negative and a positive. I want you to think about that in just a few minutes. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers built levees. I, I didn't go back and look at what year they built them. But they were there for several years. And the people of New Orleans left it in their hands, the hands of someone else, to protect them and keep them safe. Not realizing that the levees would fail. Now think about that just a minute. Are you there in your spiritual life? Are you counting on the elders of this congregation? Are you counting on the words that I, I bring to you from time to time? Are you counting on your Bible study teacher? Are you counting on your husband, your wife, your child, your father, your mother to get you to heaven? Are you counting on their life? 
If you are the levies, you're going to fail. They're going to fail. There were those that were in hospitals and nursing facilities. There were school children that were in school that were not necessarily able to help themselves. They needed a hand. Friends, I want to tell you, we are the hand. The church is the hand. We can't stand back and just say, come into the building here at Elkins, you'll be safe. We can't say, come on in, you know, God's with us, come on in, you'll be safe here. Because even though they found the highest point of ground at the Superdome in New Orleans, there was devastation there. We may be that light shining on a hill, but unless we reach out to help someone else, they're going to be lost. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8. So we can't stand back and just say, come here. You'll be safe. We've got to reach out and take a soul by the hand and help them. I want to conclude with my scriptures today in Luke chapter 23. There was a time that we can read about that the last second mattered a whole lot. The last second was all that needed for this one person. That's all that was needed. But friends, I want you to see what happened. In Luke chapter 23, verse 39, Jesus is on the cross. I want to freshen up the scene for you. Jesus is on the cross. He's got a, a thief at his right hand, a thief at his left hand, and they're being crucified. They've been mocking him. They've written above his head, this is the king of the Jews. Verse 39, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Now he was mocking. He wasn't being sincere. He wasn't being serious. He was mocking and blaspheming Jesus Christ. But look what happens in verse 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly for this receive the reward, the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Watch what happens at the last second. At the last second. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, was it that man's last second? No. I want you to pay special attention to that. Verse 43, And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, in the harmony of, God, of the Gospels, there are seven sayings that Jesus said on the cross. And that is one of them. It's one of the last ones. One of the very few last ones. Because if you read on down in Luke in, in chapter 23... And you see there in verse 44, and then Jesus had cried out with a loud voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commend, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now that's Luke's account. Like I said, in the other Gospels, you can see a couple of other things that he said. And he said it is finished. But when he told this thief that today you will be with me in paradise, it wasn't the thief's end of his life, was it? It was the end of Jesus' physical life. 
It was the end of the time and when Jesus could, could say such a thing because obviously we know that after Jesus poured out his blood, it covered that man's sins. In conclusion, 80% of the city of New Orleans was submerged. 1,577 people were declared dead in Louisiana alone. 135 people are still today categorized as missing or unknown. That's sad, isn't it? This many years later, there's still 135 people that waited till the last second and they don't even know where they're at. <laughs> in Titus chapter 3, it says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, verses 4 and 5. There's only one way of escape. When we, when, when we get into that storm, that storm's coming. We've been warned. We've been told the end of time is coming. Jesus is coming back. We're either going to die first and be raised at the judgment, or we're going to be here the day that Jesus comes. That's our only two options. We don't have an option to flee anywhere else. There's only one way of escape. There's only one way that we can get out of this storm. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus is our last second. We don't know when our very last second on this earth will be. We don't know when our last breath will be breathed. I don't try to use scare tactics in the pulpit to say you're going to die when you leave here. But friends, you could. More importantly, you could spiritually die before you even leave this building. And what worse death can there be? Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. As I read that verse, I understand that Jesus said that we must be baptized to become a Christian. We must obey the words of God. We must obey what He gave us as the Great Commission. And that is we are to find souls. We're to teach them. We're to baptize them. We're to teach them some more. That's our commission. It wasn't just for the disciples and the apostles. It's for us too. Friends, today I encourage you, if you've not become a Christian, if, you, if you've put your wayward life on, on, on a limb by waiting until the last second, think about those that you may have known that have gone on. They've passed away. They've maybe been laying at their deathbed and they have a last second confession. They have a last second thing they want to say to somebody. Think about that. How many times maybe they don't finish it? Today, you have opportunity to finish it. Today you have opportunity to become a Christian. There's water. It's ready. We're here to assist you. You must hear the word of God. You must believe it. You must repent of your sins. Be, uh, confess that Jesus is the Son of God, the true and living Son of God. Be baptized for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says will make you safe. But friends, sometimes we wait to the last second to do anything about our lives when that storm is coming. We may have sin in our lives. We may be sitting there in the chair going, well, I think it's not bad enough. I can wait. 
I can wait till next Sunday. <laughs> I'll wait till so and so is here because I want them to really know that I, I'm asking for forgiveness. I've done that. I wanted to wait. I waited for years. That was not the right thing to do. Because you know what? The, the importance is between me and God, making sure my life is right. And if you have something there that's keeping you from being perfect with God, why are you waiting till the last second? Are you going to know when the last second is? The Bible says you're not, clearly. Friends, I want you to think this morning. That first step out in that aisle is a very difficult one. I understand that. But I'll make this offer to you. If you step out, I'll come and greet you. I'll come and meet you. I'll walk down this aisle with you. And we'll sit down. If it's baptism you need, we'll assist you. If it's prayers of the church you need, we'll pray with you. Today, consider the invitation as we stand and sing.